Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's podcast. As usual, it's great to have you join us here today. I always think that it's important to have a dream, to want a better life for yourself and for your family, and importantly, to have the courage and the grit and determination to step into the unknown and see where it leads you. My guest on today's podcast is one such person. Her name is Sally Rogerson, and her hairdressing career started out in a small town in the north of England. And after a fascinating and varied career, 30 years later, she's the proud owner of SR Academy, which is a hairdressing education company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. In today's podcast, we'll discuss Sally's hairdressing journey and the lessons that she's learned along the way, some life-changing moments, and how the education side of the industry is continuing to evolve, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Sally Rogerson. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, it's fantastic to have this opportunity to have you on. I've I've wanted to get you on for a while, and uh, it's great to finally be sat down in front of the microphone, looking at you on the other side of the planet, uh, over (laughs) Zoom, so that we can have this conversation. So yeah. So, Sally, a lot of people will know you, uh, particularly in the U.S. these days, um, Mm -hmm. even though you are originally from the U.K. So let's start with an overview of your background. Just uh, who is Sally Rogerson? Give us your two minute backstory and then we can sort of dig into, uh, you know, the detail a bit more. Well, a little bit about me. I was born in the north of England and, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. But I went to a hair show with my friend and on stage with these very, very interesting uh, characters wearing amazing clothing, doing all of this crazy hair. And I didn't really know what it was, but I went straight up afterwards and asked for a job. And it turned out to be Vidal Sassoon. (laughs) I was 16 and I went home and said, Mom, I'm going to be a hairdresser and I'm leaving home and moving to Leeds. And she was like horrified of course, and uh, ran away and literally joined the circus. That's how I think of it. (laughs) Uh, Against anybody's, you know, desire for me to do that. They wanted me to be an accountant or something like that, you know, but I was pretty wild, but uh, I worked very hard. I had a huge work ethic, you know, I had lots and lots of different jobs when I was in school. So um, became an apprentice with Sassoon, worked my way through, various salons got into the school and that was really where I wanted to be because I thought the weirdest people were in the school so that was even more exciting um I worked in the schools for many many years joined the creative team then I moved over to LA to the Santa Monica Academy and became the senior creative director there and you know I had a really great career there but my desire to open my own Uh, hair education business really took over and it's something I'd always been planning to do so about 10 years ago I started SR education and I now have an academy space in Scottsdale Arizona and we also do advanced training all the way across the U.S. Wow, that's a that's a that's That's a short version. That that is a two-minute backstory uh, that has that's an incredible journey. Like you know yeah. that you've, you've started out in some small uh, town in the in the in the north of England that I hadn't even heard of, um, yeah. and so we have ended up, you know, and the various steps along the way is a incredible story. And I, and I love that because that's that's always one of the things I say about hairdressing is it can create so many opportunities for you. You never know what direction it's going to take you, and if you're ambitious and you're prepared to take risks and stuff and you know it sounds like you've taken a lot of risks and you've always been ambitious I mean you even said you had two or three jobs when you were a a 15 year old or something and and then you started hairdressing and you were 16 you left home you ran away joined the circus I mean that's that's amazing what what do you miss about that time in your life 
Um, I'm not really, I'm not really the kind of person that looks back and misses things. I don't really kind of operate like that. I'm mm. always looking forward. Um, I'm not very sentimental. Like my husband will keep every single piece of everything, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm just not wired like that at all. I'm very practical. I'm very forward thinking. Okay. Um, I look back on my time and know I really enjoyed it and have great memories, but I don't, mm. wouldn't say I miss anything. It was just part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So you spent a lot of time in uh, the, the Sassoon schools in the early part of your career. So yeah. education has always been the thing, has it? You were always drawn towards that side say, of it. Or did you spend a lot yeah. of time in salons? Um, I did work in the salon, uh, you know, because obviously you need to cut your teeth on there and you need yeah. that experience. I mean, 100% agree that everyone should work in a salon for sure. But, you know, come from, you know, my dad was a teacher. My mom did some teaching. You know, I come from mm. a family of teachers. Yeah. So I think that that kind of was a little bit in me, you know. And I really enjoy giving back to people. I know it sounds corny, but um, I really do. It gives me a lot of satisfaction. I wasn't ever the person that needed to be at the front of the stage. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I, I just wasn't. Um, I was always very happy um, knowing that I'd helped somebody and really enjoyed seeing their progress and their successes. Yeah. And I don't know, that's what really motivates me, to be totally honest. Yeah. Was it, was it easy to you, for you to make that transition from the UK, from London to Los Angeles? Very different places in terms of fashion yeah. and hair and, and culture, et cetera. Tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was a big difference, but I used to go to L.A. a lot. Um, you know, I would say in my last kind of five years in London, mm. I was lucky enough to be traveling like almost all the time. You know, I was running um, the Takara Belmont, um, you know, training. So I used to go to Japan and train all of those guys a lot with yeah. Debbie G and those guys. Mm. Uh, so. I was kind of always on the go, uh, traveling all over the world with Tim and Annie. You know, I was very, very lucky with what I was doing. But um, I did go to L.A. quite a lot and I really liked it because at that time, you know, I worked very, very hard, so many hours. But I also spent uh, quite a lot of time in the evening going out as well. So you know, LA was quite exciting at that time in my life. Mm. <laughs> I was really into bands. I was really into music. And, you know, I was out every night seeing a band down the Sunset Strip. I, I mean, it was full cliche, English person goes to LA. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> did, did you ever consider opening a salon of your own? Or was it always going to be that when I leave here, I'm going to do my own thing education. Yeah, definitely more teaching. Um, I would love to have a, and it's in my plan to have a salon. Um, but I don't know. I just really enjoy the teaching aspect. I just really love that. You know, I used to be in charge of the staff training area in London, yeah. where we used to hire people, train everyone and send them out into the different salons. And that's, I think as you get older, you know where your successes lie and you can be honest about what you're good at. And that was just what I was good at. I was good at training people. I was good at supporting them. I was good at um, preparing them for going into the salon. Yeah. And so I think once you realize what your strengths are, it makes sense to just keep going in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Was there a moment in time where... You know, you had this stable job of senior creative director and, you know, you had a high profile, et cetera, et cetera. Was there a moment in time where you decided all change? Yeah, absolutely. When I was at Sassoon in L.A., uh, again, I, I'm a very entrepreneurial person and I kind of almost built a business inside the business, as it were. Mm. You know, I had regular clients. I was out all the time educating in different salons 
And so I was never really in the academy very much anymore, you know. Um, I also trained all of the teachers for the Sassoon School Connection in different cosmetology schools as well. And then, um, you know, I got pregnant. And when I had my son during pregnancy, I, re I started to realize it was very, very difficult to keep this job up during that time, you know, that was almost impossible. And I remember going out on an in-salon seminar and I was in the middle of, I don't know, Minnesota or something. And I was pregnant at the time. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. is this company and is this job more important than your family? No. So I definitely had a few of those moments. And then after I'd had my son six weeks afterwards, I went back to the Sassoon Academy to teach a course that I'd been booked in for about two years or something. And I just felt that pressure where I said, yes, you know, I committed to something. I have to follow through. I wasn't that kind of person that ever flaked out on anything. You know, if I said I was going to do it, I would do it. And I went back and at the time, you know, I had to pump and, you know, I had to drive in LA about an hour each way. And I just thought, what the hell am I doing? And I, I worked the Monday to the Friday. And by the Wednesday, I thought, I am leaving my job. I'm going to give in my notice on Friday. And I did. And I went in and I just said, I'm not working here anymore. <laughs> and nothing against anybody there, but yeah, yeah. it was not, I don't think there was anybody else in there that had had a child, you mm. know? So all of the teachers you know, we're childless. I don't think we'd really thought it through as a business of, mm. you know, giving people breaks, you know, making sure that there's areas that you can go and privately pump and things like that. You know, yeah, I can yeah. remember just sitting in dirty, grotty bathrooms trying to, you know, pump milk and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was just horrible. And, yeah. uh, you know, I just don't think that a lot of companies, especially that are male run, had ever thought that through. And I hadn't either. Yeah, I'd yeah. never to me. But I just could not continue in yeah. in that situation. So I left. Uh, I think a lot of that's changed now, though, hasn't it? Everywhere. Yeah. Oh, Whether yeah. you're talking about Sassoon or whatever, it's a different world yeah, yeah, that we yeah. live in yeah. there, isn't it? It's, it was it's, a shock. It was a yeah. shock as a woman to, because I'd never thought of it because I didn't have a child. But yeah. As soon as you have a child, you're like, well, I need different things from my workplace. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, that's interesting. And, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm a little bit like you in that I've travelled and I've, I, all I wanted to ever do was get out of where I was born. Do you know what I yes. mean? I, there was no way in God's earth I was going to live where I was born. I had to travel. I had to get out of there. And, you know, not everyone does that. Um, yeah. I, and it's, so it's difficult to be objective about it as to whether it's a yeah. big deal or not. But, you know, I've, I've moved around the world multiple times. I've, I've lived in many, many different places. And, uh, and it just sort of, it's just become sort of easy. But I, I, I'm aware that a lot of people, they're born somewhere, they go to school somewhere, they, you know, work somewhere, they live somewhere, they marry, everything is in exactly the same place. And, yeah. And they look at someone like you uh, yeah. and they go, oh, my God. I mean, you must have friends, you know, I'm assuming that, that you had from 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago in England that you still see occasionally who are basically still in the same place doing the same thing. And they just look at you like, oh, my God, what is it that enables someone to do that? That's what I'm asking you, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, talk to us about that. You know, it's like you just said it again. On the Wednesday, I decided I was going to quit my job. Great job. A lot of people would have ripped your arm off for. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah, on the Friday, I quit my job. And I, as you said before, I don't really look back. I'm always moving forward, blah, blah, blah. Talk to us about that. Um, I think, honestly, it's how I was born, if I'm totally honest. You know, my mom and dad were uh, very, you know, reg regular people, conservative, I would say. You know, my dad was um, a PE teacher. Um, he, you know, was supposed to go and play professional soccer at Man United, you know, like he very driven man, um, very, very quiet and very calm. 
uh, off the field. But if you went on a, on a soccer pitch, on a football pitch with him, he would swear and shout at you and, you know. <laughs> so um, I come from that kind of sports background. You know, uh, my dad always wanted a son. I was the, the youngest and all he got was girls. So right, I think... Okay. I think I just kind of tried to, to, to fulfill, you know, I played every sport going, I went everywhere with him. I think I tried to fulfill that role for him. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of was very competitive growing up, I'll be honest with you. I, it, that wasn't forced on us at home, but, mm. you know, my dad was very competitive, but he didn't care if he won or lost. All he ever said to us was you had to put in 100%. He would only ever be upset with you if you look like you didn't try. Yeah. So that's kind of part of me, you know? Yeah. And it is is courageous. That's what I'm looking for. It's it's courageous to move to the other side of the world. It's courageous to give up a job. It's You know, these these are courageous things. Yeah, yeah. But I think to my detriment, though, like when I was younger, I don't know, as as a younger person, I was very happy to be by myself. Yeah. I didn't care about looking like everybody else. Uh, I always wanted to look different. I was a bit of a loner, but not in a bad way because I wanted to be, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just, just wired like that. I've got an agenda. I really care about people. It's not like I'm trampling over people ever, yeah. but I don't really care what anyone thinks. I don't really care what, you know, what people think I'm of what I'm doing. I just, that's just how I am. Yeah. So yes, it is courageous, but it's also sometimes detrimental, you know, mm. like I will make a snap decision, but now I have a family. I can't just do that. So I've mm. learned a lot over the years about not being reactionary, mm. you know? So I've really, um, I am someone that looks inside. I'm always constantly trying to better myself. Um, I'm always open to, did that work? Did that not work? And um, to be honest with you, my husband has really made me stop and, and think before I react mm-hmm. and okay. or speak or anything like that. So I've changed over the years. But yeah, definitely, if I've got an idea and I really want to do it and it makes sense in my head, it's pretty difficult to stop me. Yeah. Do you, before we started recording, you were talking about how when you first moved to the United States yes. and uh, you, were, you were talking about a time where I think you went to Las Vegas and yes. it was like this, this experience <laughs> that you had. Tell us about that, because I thought that was very interesting sort of observation of, of yeah, yeah. like a, a turning well, point in life. I think so, 100%. You know, I think that when you are, you know, working in a a very kind of fashion um, industry that is very much kind of image-led, you know, then there's a certain way that you have to look. You know, I was creative director in London in the schools. People came there to be inspired and you had to play that role and you had to play that part as well. Um, And I think that in a way... I just don't like that mentality of judging people or looking down on people, that kind of stuff. And I think that sometimes those niche companies can sometimes come across like that. And so, you know, it was all in black, you know, I'd probably not eaten for a week because I spent all of my money on a shirt to wear, you know what I mean? Oh, no, it's like, totally. yeah. it's like you've got to figure out your priorities. Like, what are you doing? You're wearing yeah. shoes that are a thousand dollars, but you know, you can hardly pay your rent. It's crazy, you know? Mm. So um, I went over to LA and then, you know, you think you're it. And uh, there's a certain mentality that goes with that. And I remember the first week or two I was there we went to Vegas to do a really, really big um, hair show that is, you know, put on there. And we were behind stage prepping our models and our models were all like amazing. And uh, we did this huge, big hair show. We were doing classrooms and that kind of stuff. Uh, Then at one point I had a little break and I went out and walked on the floor, you know, where all of the booths are and everything. And I was like, what the hell is this place? You know, it was like just loads and loads of people covered in glitter. Uh, There was a guy who was really famous who used to get people up from the crowd, put a a cowboy hat on their head 
and then put hairspray on and blow dry it onto the um, hat <laughs> and put glitter on. Then you take the hat off. So then the hair was like in a cowboy hat, but with yeah. glitter. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this place? Like, is this hairdressing here? You know, I had no sense of humor about it at all. Mm. And just was like, I don't know. It was just uncomfortable and horrified, but I was also very narrow minded, you know, and I just stuck with my little clique. And, you know, for the first couple of years, it was an adjustment because it was just very, very different from what I was used to. Yeah. Um, but I slowly started to realize that to me, you know, people are the most important thing and really making connections and not judging people by what they look like and not judging people by the fact that they want to go and have a good time in Vegas in a hair show. Why shouldn't they, you know? So my mentality has changed tremendously and I try and be a lot more open and I just really care about meeting people now and building relationships. But mm. to start with, it was definitely a shock. Whereas now I'll go to a hair show like that. And I think to myself, these people are having fun. You know, it's great. Um, it's a good business opportunity for me to meet people and mm. network, you know, yeah. I see it yeah. differently now. Yeah. Okay. So what took you to Scottsdale? in Arizona. So you've left LA, you've decided to go and open up your own education company. I'm intrigued as to why you would base it in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. Well, opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when I left Sassoon, I stayed in LA for quite a lot of years, about five years or something. I was traveling every single weekend. I mean, I hardly made any money out of my business to start with because I had a nanny and my baby with me. Because if I had to not see him or leave him at home all the time and go off and do this, then I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So, um, you know, just became in a bit of a traveling roadshow, you know. Uh, Daveness called me up when I left Sassoon and like the day after and started asking me to go and work with them. And I was like, no, I'm not joining another big company. I just mm. want to do my own thing. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to just, you know, develop everything myself. And then they kept calling and kept calling. And eventually I gave in. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful partnership. <laughs> um, because, you know, you kind of need that back in of a product company sometimes, especially as a new company. Mm -hmm. And they were really wonderful. We were doing classes of, you know, 40 people hands-on. I think the biggest class we ever did was like 90 people hands-on. And, you know, it was great because I had all of these staff members that I'd been training and developing. So we were traveling all the time. And the biggest problem we had was finding a venue to do the classes in. You know, that was always the biggest problem was finding a big enough space. So then at some point I started to think, well, it would be great to have our own space. But as a small business owner and, you know, um, I've got a family as well. It was just so frightening to commit to a 10 year lease in L.A. and pay these crazy prices to get a commercial space. It was yeah. It was almost impossible for me to be able to afford to get a decent space to rent in LA, Yeah, you know? Okay. So I had to start to look outside and be realistic. Mm -hmm. And I spent all of my time in LAX airport, which was a nightmare. So really, I just started to look around and think, where else could we have our business where hair is big business and also where people want to travel to because all of my business was people flying in, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up in Scottsdale in Arizona. I never thought I would be living here, um, you know, classically quite a Republican area, but now it's really, really changing. So many people moving here. Mm -hmm. So it's a big, big opportunity for me to be able to grow my business. Yeah, And that's really what I was looking at, you know, sometimes okay. it's better to be a big fish in a small pond, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the school you've got there, the academy, that's called SR 
education for Sally Rogers education. So it's so, called SR Academy. SR Academy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my bad. So um, tell us about it. Well, like, what is it an advanced academy? Is it a cosmetology course? Like what, what are the, or is it a mixture of everything? Tell us all about it. Yeah. It's a little bit of a mixture of everything. Uh, it's an open space. I'm sat in here now. Uh, it's kind of a, an open art space, really. Um, we have a studio where I'm sat in right now. Um, it opens up and closes down. It's not very big. It's like 2,500 mm -hmm. square feet. Mm -hmm. uh, we teach everything. So it's for advanced classes. We also do still go out and travel everywhere in the U.S. as well. But it's just really good to have a home and a base and somewhere to work out of. Mm. So we also teach, we're a small boutique uh, cosmetology academy as well. And we only take about five students. So it's almost like a mentorship. Right. Um, I hope to have a chain of schools at some point, but right now, <laughs> mm. right now it's um, fantastic because you know, we teach the 1,000 hour hair only class. So it's cosmetology without the nails and the makeup, basically. Yeah, yeah. So we concentrate just on hair. And a big part they do is social media every single day, um, hair cutting, uh, wet, dry. We have an amazing texture program. They learn all hair textures, color. Um, styling. And then obviously they get the opportunity to work with me on any photo shoots that I'm doing, mm. uh, you know, go and assist me on shows. So I think the difference is that really small uh, attention to detail and they get mentored, you know, I'm in here almost every day. I have other teachers that are amazing as well and uh, they get really looked after. So I feel okay. good about it. We have a lot of people come that are from out of state as well. Yeah. And then they take their license and then transfer back to another state as well. Yeah. If you're really just focused on hair for the um, cosmetology course, yes. uh, a thousand hours, and you've got such a small class, five, five students, did you say? That is fantastic yeah. for them. That is amazing. That is, I yeah. mean, so they must come out the other end of that being very competent with a pair of scissors, whereas that's not yeah. always the case, which is often the yeah. criticism of a lot of the schools. So, yes. okay. So yeah, that's, so you, that's a whole other subject that we could go into for hours, but it's bananas to me to go and do 1600 hours at a hair mm. school and then come out and you can't do hair. Like mm. what? Yeah. Isn't that a business failing? It, it, it is, but it's also a, really? a, a regulation issue. There's so many boxes that have got to be ticked, isn't there? Um, whether you're in the US or the UK or Australia or whatever, yeah. you know, when you talk about the sort of uh, whether it's a private school or a government school, there's a certain amount of control over the curriculum that you're told this has to be done. And you've got X hmm. amount of hours to do it. And, uh, you know, people don't always come out the other end of it being as competent as what they need to be in the practical side oh, of things. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just just tell me, I'm curious, curious to ask you about this. As, as someone who is a passionate teacher, who has other people on your team who are also teachers, what is it that makes a good teacher? Very good question. I feel very strongly about this. You know, we uh, advertise ourselves as a positive learning experience. And I think that that's really important. And if I go back to my assistant training program, you know, and you know this, you would get there in the morning, you would all line up in a row, all the assistants, you would put your fingernails out and have them checked. You would check, right? You close yeah, your yeah. hair, your makeup, everything. And you used to have to have two um, news items that you could talk to clients about, <laughs> right? And basically, if you got in early, then you would be the first one in the line. So it'd yeah. be easy because you'd do the first two things but if you were number 10 in the line, it was you're starting to sweat a little bit. And if you didn't come up to the standard, you'd be sent home immediately to get changed or whatever it was. And then you'd come back again. It was literally like being in the army, wasn't it? You know, mm. and you would stand there all day holding hair, uh, doing stuff. But I mean, I could go a whole day without hardly speaking, you know, like it was definitely very, very hard. Now, 
yes, sure, that helped me. Of course it did. It gave me discipline that mm. I still use today. Yeah. But is it realistic in this world now? No. And so we don't teach like that at all. Um, you know, I teach in a very positive way, which doesn't mean that everybody wins. It just means that instead of telling somebody that they're not very good or telling them that their work's not very good, mm. we need to make sure from a feedback point of view that we're being constructive. So I teach people how to teach. And to me, there's a method to it. It's absolutely a skill. It's just as organized and, and it has just as much method to it as cutting a graduated book, you know? Mm. And so to me, teaching is about giving people constructive criticism, teaching them how are we going to get to the next step and helping them, you know, with that. So I train a lot of teachers. That's one of the main things that I do, both my own. And I also teach salon owners how to teach because I feel like that's a big problem right now. A salon owner is the same as me. I'm a school owner. It's the same thing, right? Mm. We've got kids, we've got family. Um, we've got all of these things to run within our business. Sometimes we don't have time to teach necessarily very well or we leave it to somebody else. Uh, if you haven't been trained in how to teach, then it's very difficult to actually deliver that information in a succinct way. Uh, to me, I feel like students come to you or apprentices, doesn't matter who teaching, everyone comes to work now kind of half full mentally, right? So if you've got this much space to take in information that day, it's already half full because they've been on social media all morning before they got to school, right? Mm. So you can't talk about everything um, in a long-winded way. You have to get information into people's brain, very clear, very succinct, very simply put, using the right verbiage once, you know? I think a lot of salon owners point at things and they're like, follow what I'm doing, look what I'm doing and follow it. You know, they're not able to verbalize what it is that they want their student to execute. So I really help people with that. Uh, a lot of people that are really great at doing hair, but they're not necessarily very good at teaching. Yeah, yeah. And oh, they're two completely totally different things, yeah. completely different things, you know? Yeah, they are. Okay. So that was talking about what makes a good teacher. Let me flip that on its head for a minute. As a as a, a teacher who's you know had lots of students like you've looked yeah. after and trained over the years, what is it that makes a good hairdresser? Like when you're looking at these young kids at the, at the beginning and you think, gosh, this one's going to be good. What is it that that gives you that insight? To me, it's attitude, right? It's attitude, it's passion. You don't have to be the best at what you do. Like when I was running staff training and even here now, what I'm really looking at, and I would suggest that most people, uh, if you own a salon and you're not sure, you know, who to take when you're interviewing, to me, I take the person that I can spend 40 hours with, mm. you know? I take the person that has a good vibe, that um, is passionate, that is polite, that has good manners. I don't really care about what they can do with their hands because I can teach them that, you mm. know? But it's interesting, isn't it? You can have them come in and like assist you in the salon for half a day. Do they pull the chair out? Do they open the door for people naturally? You know, what kind of person are they? Do they see things? Because to me, it's all about hiring someone that can look around that salon and see what's wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. And be preemptive and know what's going to happen ahead of the game. Mm. And just, you know, those details and that level of perception is everything, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You, you're still very much at the top of your game. You've been doing this for a long time in different countries and you've changed a lot. You've evolved a lot. What I want to ask you is, how would you describe your philosophy now on fashion and on beauty, et cetera? Because if, if, if I take, you know, the Sally of 10 years ago, yes. um, you would have had a very, like, yeah. not, not necessarily narrow, 
but a yeah. very definitive view of what fashion 100%. and beauty was all about. How, what is that like for you now? How do you think about beauty? How do you think about women? How do you think about suitability? How do you think about fashion uh, in, the, in the context of as a hairdresser and as a woman? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very much changed. I think when I was at Sassoon, um, you know, we'd do all of these crazy haircuts and everything. And it was fun. And if I'm really honest, I used to cut hair for me. When I was very first on the floor as a stylist, I had no concept of trying to make somebody look beautiful. I had no concept when I was like 18. I had no concept of trying to make a woman feel really good about themselves. I just gave them haircuts that I wanted to do. You know, that's the truth. I can see that now because I just didn't have that experience of life to realize that a haircut was more than a haircut, right? It's how you made the client feel. So as I've got older, I've started to realize, number one, um, what an amazing job that we have and how we can really change people's perception about themselves and especially for women and the idea of beauty and looking at themselves and you know, feeling confident and feeling beautiful. Um, I had no concept of that at all. But after I left Sassoon, I started to realize salon work to me and to most hairdressers is the most important thing. You know, no one's doing crazy haircuts that take three hours. It's ridiculous. That's something you do as a hobby in your spare time to fill that creative need in you, you know? But the reality is we need to teach people how to do really fantastic hair to make clients look and feel fantastic. And most clients want to look great. They want to look quite commercial and they don't want to be stared at in the street, you know? So that was a really big change for me to realize, you know, the power that we have in the salon on a regular client and what regular clients want. Mm. You know, we always looked down upon doing commercial work. It was like, oh, you're doing that? You're doing a bob with some highlights, you know? But that's the real world. That's, that's what everyone does every day. Mm. And so that was a big, big aha moment for me, to be totally honest. And really, SR Education, which is our advanced training, is built around salon-friendly work that supports stylists and um, allows them to do their bread and butter work and be happy with it and be, feel really proud that they are affecting that client in the chair's life and making them feel good about themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. So yes, I've 100% changed a lot over the years. And I realize now that hair, particularly in America, is more about that beauty and that concept of making clients feel really good and look the best that they can look, you know? So it's a different approach to how, you know, I used to be, for sure. Yeah, okay. All right, I want to change, change it up a bit. I did want to touch on, you, you mentioned it briefly, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about social media. Um, and and how, uh, because obviously social media in the last 10 years has completely sort of reinvented, well, it's not reinvented how we communicate, but it's certainly expanded on it a lot and, and given us uh, different tools. How has social media impacted on you and your business? I know you said a minute ago that your, um, your beauty school, your cosmetology school students, they have to spend time every day doing that. So that's quite significant in itself. So tell us about how that impact, what impact social media has had on you. Well, I think it's just an opportunity again, isn't it? It's a wonderful, wonderful business tool. And I think that if you can try and understand that in your head and going back to many, many years ago, if you wanted to advertise to get a new stylist or assistant, or you wanted to advertise your salon to try and gain new clients, you used to have to put an advert in the local newspaper or an advert in a magazine. That's how you got your name out there, which obviously cost a lot of money, didn't it? And also back in the day, I remember sitting in the back room of the salon and waiting for a client to come in, you know? Mm. I mean, that's madness, isn't it? Mm, totally. So that doesn't happen now. You have to go out and get your clients. 
clients, you mm. know? And the way that you can go out and get your clients for free is by using social media. So in a way, it's like your shop window, isn't it? So yeah. I always imagine I have a beautiful shoe store and in my shop window, I'm going to put my best shoes. I'm not going to put some old secondhand boots that are from like four seasons ago. I'm going to put my best shoes in the front window to entice people in, right? Mm. So I think everyone should think of social media like that in the salons. And I think that that's how you get your clients. That's how you build your image of your salon is by putting that stuff out there. Is it a pain in the butt? Yes, 100%. (laughs) But you have to definitely separate time either each day or at the end of each week because organizing um, and planning your social media is just as important as taking another client. You know, if you have to block off time to do it, it's so, so, so important because you can really develop a brand Mm. out there with hardly any money. It's just going to take you time. Some people obviously like to hand their social media over, but to me, these days, if you were hiring a receptionist, I mean, what does a receptionist do? They stand there and answer the phone? Like, to me, that's a waste of money. Like, a receptionist, I would have them trained in social media, and that would be a big part of um, the interview process. They would have to be good at social media and running the desk and the reception. If you don't have a receptionist and you're all booking online and everything, then having one person in the salon that part of their job, maybe it's an assistant, is to run that social media and think of all that content that is in the salon every day. You know, that's what people don't realize. You don't have to stop and take a week off and do all this content. There's so much content in the salon every single day that you can utilize, right? So is it actually part of the curriculum? Yes. Right. So for us, it's part of the curriculum. Um, Get their stories up every morning. Uh, We teach them how to work to camera, how to take photographs, Hmm. how to light everything. Um, all of that at all with any business now. I don't think you can say, oh, I don't like social media. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. I don't like social media. It's just a tool. Yeah, exactly. How do you see it changing education or or what's the influence that it's having on education? Well, I think, you know, the whole online education, obviously we had to go to during COVID. And I think at first it was quite new and exciting, but I think um, it's a really great backup, but for, for, for me, what I'm kind of getting from people is they're so desperate to be with other people and mm. be in an in-person class. So I think that social media is a really great way as a gateway into education, but obviously it's difficult. It's polarizing because some people say, well, you know, look at someone doing hair on social media and I know I can do it better. You know, I hear that all the time. Mm. Oh, these social media people have got like huge following, but they're not actually very good. And I think to myself, hang on a minute. You can't just sit at home and say that. Like, how about you try, you know? Mm. Doing social media, having a huge following is so much work. Yeah. And also putting yourself out there to be judged by those people at home yeah. takes so much emotional energy mm. that I take my hat off to anybody that is on social media every day. It is emotionally soul destroying. I see people change from a regular person and then suddenly they've got all sorts of things done to themselves, you know, and yeah. it's, it's a lot. It's a huge amount, you know, but to sit at home and criticize people, it's like, well, you do it then. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, exactly. You know? I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, yeah. I, I respect the amount yeah. of time and effort that goes into it. Huge. And it's different. There's, I, I can't stand it when people talk about, you know, the good old days. And it's like, oh, God. It, it's the most, it's like granddad move over. No one cares anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, You've got to keep moving forward and modernize yourself and be aware of what's going on. Yeah. On, on that note, talking about change and changing business models, 
Yeah. What are you? What are your thoughts about that? Because everywhere now, um, it's not just the US, the US, the UK, Europe, Australia, whatever. There's a very definite uh, movement towards there being more independent, self-employed, um, yeah. you know, freelancers, etc. Uh, yeah. How does that impact on education and, and how does that impact on the client experience that you see from your uh, your perspective? I think it's huge. Uh, I think there's gonna, it's going to turn back as well a little bit and we can start to see that now. But everyone wants to be their own boss. Everyone wants to do their own schedule. It sounds great, doesn't it? But then, you know, people get into that salon suite by themselves. It's very insular. You're doing all your own shampoos. You're with that client all the time. There's nobody to bounce off of. It's emotionally very draining for people. Mm. And, you know, there is no respite at all. Whereas in a salon, the client can at least look at another client's shoes or there's someone else talking that they can listen to. You know, it's just, there's a buffer in a way. So uh, a lot of people really enjoy working in a salon suite or being independent because they really want to take control of their own schedule, particularly if they have a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it does allow that. But I do notice in class, we have so many people from uh, salon suites and people that are working by themselves and they just want to be in a class because they want to be around hairdressers. They need that. They need to be with a group of hairdressers in a pack, bouncing off of each other, feeding off that energy. So from an education point of view, I found that people want more education if they are independent and particularly if they work by themselves a lot because they're not getting what they need, you know, because there's no one else yeah, yeah. around them. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of people now that went out and did that and realized, you know what? I'm really missing being in that salon environment. So we're seeing a lot of salons come through now that are becoming quite popular where you're renting your chair, but you still feel that buzz of being in a salon. Mm. So a lot of people are doing quite well there. But the big um, thing that I'm seeing is, you know, this kind of concept of the old salon method is kind of coming back, but we're seeing a lot of team-based pay at the moment. And team-based pay salons um, are doing very well right now, I feel like. But to me, that's for the younger crowd. Uh, you know, team-based pay salons to me work very well for people coming out of school up to about year five. And then at that point, people feel like, well, I'd like to have my own personal clientele at that point, you know? Mm. So it's across the board, really. But yeah, people want to people fit their own schedule in, but there's a lot of negatives about that as well, mainly the fact that you're alone most of the time, which yeah. I think is difficult for people. Yeah, definitely. I think hairdressers are social beings, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I could not do that in a, in a suite. I mean, you know, you could do it for a week, you could do it for a month. Yeah. You know, maybe you could do it a little bit long. I just I couldn't I couldn't think this is where I'm going to be for the next 10 years, me and my clients. Yeah. So just no way. Well, so, I think that you have to realise that you need another outlet if you're going to. Like mm-hmm. have a lot of people that are very successful and it works and clients actually like it because they have all of your attention, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that obviously people are starting to think about the emotional impact and the impact on yourself as a hairdresser mm-hmm. and look at it and think, and maybe it was during COVID as well, but you start to think, hang on a minute, this is crazy. You know, mm. I've worked for eight hours in a row. I didn't eat lunch. I haven't gone to the bathroom. You know, I've just absorbed people's problems for mm. eight hours now. Yeah. And I just want to go and live. I want to go and sit in a dark room with no one to talk to me. So you go home, <laughs> you've got no family life because you don't have to talk to anyone. And yeah, cry. Right. I mean, yeah. what's that about, right? <laughs> So I think people are starting to reassess what their boundaries are, what they're prepared Mm. to put up with, and also what does their day look like? Shouldn't Mm. they take some time to eat a sandwich, you know? Yeah, of course they should, yeah. Kind of weird that we lived like that for so long. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I just want to talk about the apprenticeship and the beauty school system um, and get your sort of input on that. I, I know you now run the cosmetology school, uh, as you've spoken about, uh, but your training, my training, was very much doing an apprenticeship system. Now, I know that there is some apprenticeships in the US, not very many. 95% of people probably go through a beauty school. And there's a lot of pressure to even shorten the hours on those beauty schools uh, and to be able to, you know, I know they've in California reduced it recently to, uh, I think, to a thousand hours from 1600 hours. And, and so that's what we were talking about before, that people then get pumped out with a license to say, I'm a hairdresser. But in many cases, yes, you know a lot of stuff, but unfortunately, you actually don't know how to cut hair very well, uh, because there's only yeah, so yeah. much you can teach people in that time frame. So Talk to us about your insights on the two different systems and what yeah. works and what doesn't work and, and where you see the future going as far as that is. Well, I think it's very interesting because obviously in England, you know, I had an apprenticeship, started at 16. Mm. Um, you know, I know a lot of European countries, that's how you do it, Australia, New Zealand. You know, there's a lot of push into that apprenticeship and learning skills straight out of school. It's a bit like if you're not going to go to university, learn a skill, that kind of thing. And to me, doing an apprenticeship when I was 16 was really important because I didn't know how to be in the salon. So I needed to learn how to talk to clients, like how to act, all of that kind of stuff as well. Mm. So I think that uh, it was very important. However, here... People go to beauty school and get their um, license and it can be anything between 1000 to 2000 hours and it's different in each state. But you've got to remember America is so big. Like when I talk to people here and say there's no licensing system in England, they're horrified. And they're like, how can they put people on the floor? How can they have people working in a salon without a license? They're absolutely horrified by it. And you know, I always say, well, it's kind of natural selection, isn't it? If you were working or you owned a salon in the UK or somewhere like that, um, that didn't have a license system, if you were frying people's hair, if you were, you know, working in an unsanitary manner, you just wouldn't have any clients. Their dresser, you're not going to be successful. So whereas here, it's very much about sanitation. Like you said, a lot of Schools don't necessarily prepare everyone to go out and be a stylist straight away. But most people do not want to go to school for a year or a year and a half and then start a three-year apprenticeship. It's not realistic financially for them yeah, to be no, able to not. do that. Mm. But also the level of interest. I mean, your interest wanes pretty quickly when you just shampoo in hair for three years and you've already done school, you know? Mm. So it's a little bit difficult here. And I feel very strongly that people um, should still do a form of an apprenticeship, but maybe about six months, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what we recommend. Um, we have a whole training program. We work with many different salons to help them train their staff. Um, and I really believe that they should come out of school, do about three to six months and then start to go on the floor, but only take certain clients, continue their education and, you know, continue building them up over a five-year period. Mm. But I know a lot of people, especially on social media, oh, people should be doing an apprenticeship. You know, that's what I did in the old days. It's just not realistic right now. You know, I think we're not lowering our standards we're just being realistic on where we are at. So personally, I think people need to get on the floor with a foundational uh, amount of knowledge, start on their clients, continue to do their education, build on their clients and look at their education in the first five years as continuing to study and get better and better. I don't know about you, but I can remember my first client when I went on the floor after training with Sassoon for three years, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. I cut, I, I didn't, I cut a fringe there and it went up there on my first client. And I was like, oh, shall I just go home now? Or like what? <laughs> Get your coat, Sally. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's not foolproof. I mean, everyone struggles at the first year of their career. Mm. Yeah. And I think if they're in a salon with the support and the continued education, then I think um, we have to be realistic about the situation. People want to start doing clients and have their hands in hair as quickly as possible. Mm. I see a lot of people assisting for six months, don't touch any hair. And so anything that they did learn in beauty school has kind of almost been lost a little bit, you know? Mm. So continuing to practice, continuing to have your hands in the hair because, you know, this industry is amazing, isn't it? And we know that from Vidal, but you can be anyone. You can be from any background. It doesn't, it's not about money. You've got to cut all of those heads of hair to become good. There's mm. no way around that. There's no magic pill that someone can give you. Yeah. So exactly. just trying to get people to work on models or a junior stylist at that lower price point to start with a few days a week, I really feel like it's going to be beneficial for salon owners. And they yeah. grow into their clientele. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of how I see it. All right. Well, no, that's really interesting. I mean, and one of the challenges that the industry has all over the world is the amount of people that come into the industry that don't last. Um, I, yes. hear, I hear statistics I heard one recently, something like 80% of people that come out of cosmetology school are not in the industry two years later. Yeah. Um, and that's that's tragic. Uh, and there's variations of a theme on that statistic, whether you're talking about the UK, Australia, or anywhere that yeah. we, uh, as an industry, that there's a lot of young kids that are attracted into it, but they get, you know, it just they, they don't follow through with it because it's not what they thought it would be, you know? So anyway, well, listen, we, we need, need to start wrapping up. Unfortunately, I have um, really enjoyed just sitting here listening to you. Um, I, will, I do want to ask you one question. I, I've asked a few people recently. It's interesting what they come up with. Uh, and that is, uh, what do you wish you were better at? I think I wish I was better at business. Um, like as in the, the financial part, but I do, when I first left Sassoon and started my business, I did every single job. I, I designed the website. You know, I went to the University of YouTube and learned anything that I didn't know. You know, mm. I never went to college and never went to university. Everything I know, I've gone and found out myself and studied hard on. Um, I studied some graphic design enough to start doing all of my own stuff. I studied some photography so I could start taking my own pictures. I'm by no means fantastic at all of those things, but if I find something that I can't do, but I need to do for the business, then I'll go and learn it enough to get by. Mm. But I would say I wish I was better from a business point of view, as in just that, knowledge you would get by doing a university or college degree in in business do you know what I mean in yeah, finance totally, totally. like yeah. I know there's a whole level of stuff that I don't even know and I surround myself often with business owners mm. who have really made it and I'm always really open to kind of learn and I keep my ears open and I listen and I observe but um yeah at some point I I, I know that I am lacking in that higher structure business uh, acumen um, to go higher with what I do, you know? Okay. Well, it's it's been great hearing, you know, your journey and all the different things you've done and the risks you've taken and the courage you've had and your insights into the industry and how you've evolved and changed in lots of different ways. Uh, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Our website for advanced training is sallyrogerson.com. Our cosmetology website is sr.academy. Those are two kind of separate businesses. I also own a hair show, which we haven't done for a while, which is called Thrive Sessions. And that's a really cool thing that I'm hoping to do at the end of the year again. Now okay. people can travel and feel a bit more comfortable. And then Instagram at sallyrogerson. Uh, our academy page is at SR Academy Official. 
uh, where we kind of feature more of our students and what we do in the school. Right. And um, yeah, people can message us on Instagram. Uh, you can email me anytime, sally at sallyrogerson.com. Okay. And uh, yeah, we try and get back to you. Good. All right. Well, look, I will put all those links uh, on our website and in the show notes for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Sally and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Sally Rogerson, any final words? You know, relationships with people are absolutely the most important thing in your business. Whether you are a salon owner, uh, connecting with your staff and your you know, stylists and your clients, or whether you're like me and, um, you know, out there doing business, it's a very hard time in the world right now. And uh, I definitely have moments where I'm like, I need to just go and work at Amazon, <laughs> right? But anytime you're going through those hard times, um, I think, you know, re your relationships with people and reaching out to people around you and, Sometimes other people want to help you as well. When you're a business owner, you feel like you've got to keep everybody else going. Yeah. But I've really learned over the last couple of years, it's okay to open up and other people want to help you too, you know? So yeah, relationships yeah. are absolutely the most important thing in business, in my opinion, and how you treat people is everything. Good. Okay. Well, on that note, Thank you, Sally, for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.